now available here on Hollywood and Beyond. You're starting a war. You're putting a whole outfit on the line. They're probably out looking to start your uncle right now. Keep your mouth shut. What Mr. Scalise don't know won't hurt him. Welcome to a Hollywood and Beyond special presentation. The Making of Code of Silence with Mike Genovese. A behind-the-scenes, in-depth episode honoring one of Chuck Norris's finest films. This is host Stephen Brittingham. Enjoy the show. Chuck Norris. Code of Silence. The toughest cop in the world just got tougher. This is Carrie Mitchum. Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond with your host, Stephen Brittingham. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond podcast with Cincinnati host Stephen Brittingham. Experience meaningful and in-depth interviews with Hollywood's most interesting people. Enjoy the show. This is Carrie Denzel, actor, producer, creator, and writer of State of Slay. I invite you all to join me on my blog, stateofslay.com. Slay, in this case, being an acronym for self-love, appreciate you. As I talk about my journey from the darkness of depression to living in the light today and finding self-love and forgiveness for myself, it is a sense of community, a place of sharing, of love, and a place where we inspire and encourage one another. So come and join me and all the other Slayers at stateofslay.com. Slay on. Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond Podcast. This is Stephen Brittingham, hosting the show from my hometown of Cincinnati, Ohio. Thank you for all of the wonderful comments and messages that I've been receiving. It sure means a lot. All of you are very much appreciated. Thank you. My guest today is Mike Genovese. Born and raised in St. Louis, Mike would go on to achieve greatness in theater, film, and television as an actor. A very talented man. L.A. Law, Knight Rider... Jag, the Dukes of Hazard, NYPD Blue. I mean, the list really goes on and on. And he also had a memorable role on ER, where he also co-starred with his wife, who is also an actress. That's quite a, uh, a story right there, which I'll be sure to ask Mike about. Well, in film, he has left his mark as well in such films as Code of Silence, 
Harlem Nights, JoJo Dancer, Your Life is Calling, and many, many more. It is a true honor to welcome him to the show. Mike, welcome to Hollywood and Beyond, sir. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) It's wonderful to have you uh, back on the show because you were a part of a very special episode recently, The Making of Code of Silence. And I want to thank you once again for such a a, a wonderful and an enjoyable experience. You're welcome. Well, Mike, um, why don't you let folks know out there uh, more about um, your background? Uh, I mentioned you're from St. Louis, but um, how did your interest in acting actually develop for you? Uh, Okay, the story goes like this. Uh, As uh, a child, my mother, uh, for uh, uh, reasons that had to do with... uh, uh, my being born with a, uh, cleft palate and cleft lip, uh, and after, uh, operations and therapy, speech therapy, uh, there was, uh, in my mother's, uh, eyes, uh, uh, a, a need for me to be, uh, comfortable uh, and and accepting of myself uh, with uh, all of the uh, sort of derogatory, un- unknowing sort of attitudes towards people with disabilities, however slight mine was. Uh, and so she uh, had me uh, get into uh, uh, dance classes where I would end up being able to perform uh, in front of people and uh, in her mind, you know, find a sort of self-worth and a self-confidence. So I ended up going to Miss Cosette's dance school of dance or dancing school uh, in St. Louis. And I remember it was next to the rag factory. That, that, that. And uh, uh, Miss Cosette was this very sort of gypsy dressing woman. And we did tap and ballet and acrobatics. And from time to time, the students would uh, uh, perform uh, uh, recitals uh, either at uh, St. Michael's Parish Hall or on the USS Admiral uh, Riverboat that went up and down the Mississippi River around uh, St. Louis. And from there, uh, (laughs) once I got into high school, uh, I got into uh, some uh, drama uh, activities and uh, sort of bounced back and forth between there and whatever sports team I was uh, trying to get myself uh, involved with. And then I uh, went on to uh, college and uh, started out being thinking I was going to be a physical ed major, and the line was very long, and so I walked over to a shorter line that was social science. And I ended up uh, becoming a social science major for a couple of years and was on the football team, but uh, started getting uh, a little too uh, uh, damaged. Uh, And so I sort of dropped out of football and uh, got into uh, theater uh, activities and uh, did a lot of, uh, you know, that uh, when I was in undergraduate school and I went to 
graduate school at St. Louis University and uh, getting my master's in uh, master of teaching in uh, speech and drama and continued my theater activities and uh, then uh, went out into the world as a teacher of uh, speech and drama and English and uh, some point uh, I was missing uh, performing. So I got involved in uh, some community theater uh, in uh, Macomb, Illinois, where I was teaching at the time at Western Illinois University. And uh, that job sort of uh, ended. And as it was ending, I was trying to decide what to do and started looking around for uh, possibilities. And uh, I ended up at Webster College in St. Louis, Missouri, Webster Groves, Missouri, a suburb of St. Louis at uh, Webster College, now Webster University, and uh, became uh, a member of the uh, Theater Conservatory teaching faculty, uh, but also as a member of the teaching faculty, you were also a member of the professional acting company. And that's when I began my professional career as an actor in 1969. And I did lots of theater and lots of teaching. And then eventually, after a few years, moved to Washington, D.C., where I was a studio director for a company called NUS, Nuclear Utility Services, uh, fortunately not named uh, what the uh, owners of the company, founders of the company, wanted to name it, which was Atomic Nuclear Utility Services, which would, uh, you know, uh, 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 whittle down to ANUS. So they decided not to call it ANUS, but they would call it NUS. And I was a director, a studio director for nuclear and fossil fuel power plant operators, uh, trying to uh, make these talking head uh, video uh, uh, training uh, packages into something that wasn't so dry. And so I came in and I uh, started uh, livening them up. I remember getting rave reviews from Wisconsin Power and Light on a four-hour uh, turbine series. Uh, apparently, I had them rolling in the aisles. Uh, with my uh, with my antics that I was able to create uh, kind of a George and Lenny character for mice and men, uh, sort of going back and forth with uh, the uh, instructor. Uh, I was at that time using we were using uh, uh, what's the term uh, stop motion animation because I had a, a a really good cartoonist that I was working with uh, who uh, was one of those guys that would go down to uh, or the beach in the summertime and do caricatures. And uh, after I had been there for a while, again, missing performing, started getting involved in the uh, local theater scene around Washington, D.C. Stayed there for a couple of years and uh, finally decided uh, to move back to the Midwest and settled in Chicago and started doing theater in Chicago and uh, around the sort of Midwest theater circuit. Uh, St. Louis, Kansas City, Chicago. And uh, then in 1979, old Mayor Daly uh, had just died. And uh, 
when he was alive, so the story goes, he didn't want any film or television uh, to be done in Chicago, thinking it would only give Chicago an even worse name and reputation because thinking that, you know, they would only be, you know, crime stories and, you know, corruption and stuff. And, uh, but after he died, uh, again, as the story goes, it was like they closed the lid on his coffin and immediately film and television started coming into Chicago. And the first television thing that I did was, uh, a short lived series, uh, produced by Robert Conrad called the Duke. And the only film experience I had prior to that was when I was in DC. Uh, there was a movie with, uh, Oh God, Stacy Keach, uh, Margot Kidder, uh, some other folks I can't remember right off. Uh, and I was a stand-in and a, and a double for Stacy Keach. So that was my only other film experience. Well, but that anyway, must have been very uh, so, exciting. Yeah, it was. You know, uh, and uh, but yeah, so so yeah, once in Chicago and once filming stuff, I television started rolling into Chicago. The agent uh, that I was with, uh, her clients were picking up uh, all of the uh, sort of uh, smaller uh, co-star roles in the film and television uh, things that were coming into Chicago. And after a few years, we decided, uh, hey, why don't we uh, try Los Angeles? And so about a dozen of us boarded a plane and flew out to uh, Los Angeles uh, January of 82. And I remember it was like uh, something like 60 below with the wind chill factor uh, the morning that we were supposed to leave. And I uh, got a call promptly at the time I had asked the cab to come and pick me up. And they said, we're all froze up. And so I ended up having to oh my. walk several blocks with baggage that was meant to be driven to the airport uh, to catch a bus at the train station to take me to the airport. And uh, by the time I got there, I had like icicles hanging off my hair and my mustache and uh, from sweating, carrying all of these uh, bags on a slippery, icy sidewalk and got to the bus and uh, put on my nice Borsalino hat, which immediately the uh, wind in Chicago off the lake snapped off my head and blew down the railroad tracks toward Chicago. Got on the plane finally and landed in Long Beach, and the dozen of us who were all sort of traveling together uh, spent like about, oh, I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes just taking off layers of clothes and just like mouth gapped, eyes wide open going, wow, look at those palm trees. So I've been out here since uh, 82. I went back to Chicago to regroup for about, uh, I don't know, nine months, and then uh, made the big move in 83 and have been out here ever since. And that's where you're joining film. me from today is Los Angeles. Los Angeles, Los Angeles, yes, yes, yes. Sunny Los Angeles. Eh, sort of eh, a little overcast today. We're expecting a little rain. We've had a longer rainy season this year. So we've got some uh, gray skies this morning, and... Uh, uh, cloudy enough that I can't see the mountains looking out the window. Well, when I first moved story. to L.A., it was in Glendale, Mike, and then I moved oh, to Burbank. Okay. And, oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Close to Hollywood. 
Yeah, yeah, we're just over the hill. We're in we're we're in an area called Sunland Tahunga. So we're just on the other side of the uh, Verdugo Hills from uh, Burbank. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yes. That's it. That's it. That's it. I'm out of breath and I'm out of steam. <laughs> well, wow, you really laid it all out so nicely. I wanted to ask you, what do you like about theater the most as an actor? And a, a two-part question. The second part would be, um, when you were doing theater as a younger man, did you have eyes on film and television, or were you perfectly content to remain uh, performing on stage? I was perfectly content to uh, work on stage. Uh, uh, stage work is uh, allows for more freedom for an actor uh, in terms of uh, going from in real-time performance to the next real-time performance with an ever-changing audience and being able to, over the course of uh, a longer period of time, uh, to uh, continue to explore and discover uh, things about uh, the project. Uh, my experience with film and television, uh, I've never really, in many instances, in most instances, instances, I've never really been involved in sort of long-term projects where I was uh, such an integral part of the uh, film or television project that uh, I, I had that sort of same uh, experience in terms of uh, constantly uh, discovering and uh, honing a performance. Uh, there, there have been some films and some television things that I've done where I have been able to do that. And, uh, those work and remain quite rewarding. And even the other film and television projects, uh, that are more short term, it's interesting because as, as, as you, you, you build a career as I built my career, uh, up to this point, you 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 learn from uh, those situations uh, again in terms of honing and discovering. Uh, given the uh, lesser amount of time that you uh, are 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 able to uh, deal with a project, so you deal with this project, and uh, hopefully you learn something from that. So that when you move over to the next project, which is also uh, a, a shorter uh, a, a, a time of being able to be involved in it, some of those things that you learn from that project just preceding it, you can carry over. Not necessarily in terms of uh, the character, but but certainly in terms of you know the the craft of working in front of a camera. Uh, 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 and, and, uh, yeah, so that's the sort of long answer to, I think what your question was. <laughs> it, it sure was. And, and you added so many more layers. Thank you, Mike. I did want to ask you about, a uh, a theatrical performance that you did that I noticed, but before I do, I just thought I'd share with you that I also have a background in theater and my favorite 
performance and character that I portrayed was Bernie Dodd in The Country Girl, performed in uh, Pinehurst, North Carolina. Although I was uh, kind of young to portray Bernie at the age that I did, uh, it was just a wonderful experience, and I completely can relate to all that you're saying about the theater. It's it's just it's just a, a wonderful, emotional, and challenging experience. But I noticed that you um, performed on a play called, of course, On Gold. Pond. I'm very familiar with the film. It says you portrayed Norman. And I just wanted to ask you if you had any uh, stories to share about that experience. Uh, my wife and I did that up in, uh, my wife and I, Ellen Crawford, have worked together a lot in film, television, uh, theater, and uh, just recently, the last couple of years, a web series called Boomers uh, that can be seen on YouTube boomers the web series about baby boomers but the uh theater in ohio the public theater in uh, uh lewiston maine uh we got involved in uh, that theater because my wife uh as a carnegie mellon university alumni uh went there several years ago to do a fundraiser for them the uh, artistic directors were also uh, uh, alum of the uh, Carnegie Mellon. And so ER, that my wife was uh, one of the regular nurses on for the uh, run of the uh, series, uh, was very popular at the time. And on their board, they had a lot of uh, uh, cardiologists and other doctors, and they went, yeah, bring her in. And so she went in and did... Uh, uh, a fundraiser production of uh, the one-woman show, uh, uh, The Bell of Amherst, about uh, Emily Dickinson. Ah, there we go. Well, so 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 so, so then, so okay, so 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 then, uh, she went back and did a full run uh, the next season, and then she and I together or separately started going there every few years to do uh, another piece. Uh, for them, uh, and they asked us. Uh, they they wanted to do Golden on Golden Pond, but they didn't want to do it unless we did it. And so we said, sure. And so we went and uh, we did a production of On Golden Pond, and had a really good time. And I remember specifically that one of the things you come to realize is that. When you're doing a play that has a geographical connection with the area where you're doing the play, uh, it makes a whole difference in terms of the way the audience responds. So doing the play on Golden Pond in Maine, the first laugh uh, came, I think, on my wife's first line, when she knocks on the door and is asking, you know, for me to open it and I open it. And I think one of her first lines has something to do with the black flies or no, no, the black flies or the no Sims are terrible this year. And in Maine, that gets a big laugh. And, you know, when that, when you get that first laugh, especially, you know, on a line that seems Otherwise, in any other part of the country, sort of insignificant, you go, oh, boy, we're in for a nice ride tonight. <laughs> and, uh, and then later on in the play, what happens is that 
he's he's reading the newspaper at one point and he starts talking about the Boston Red Sox. Well, that year, the Boston Red Sox totally sucked. And again, whenever the Boston Red Sox came up, there was always a really good response from the audience. (laughs) Uh, But uh, we had we had uh, a really good cast. And uh, it was well directed by Christopher Sherio, the uh, co-artistic director of the theater. And uh, I, I just remember that, that that there were a few moments in the play. It, it, it's one of the things we did. My wife and I did a production one time, and the review came out and said basically these actors were cheating because they're really married. <laughs> and it was like okay. But I remember in Golden Pond, there's there's a scene where we're like folding, folding sheets together after they're you know being laundered, and my wife and I, when we fold sheets, uh, you know, we're always going the wrong way, you know, on, on our end. So there's always this like two or three beat thing where we're trying to figure out which way we're putting the corners so we can you know, and I remember. There's a scene in the play early on where that happens. And so it's, we, we took that little detail and, you know, put it into, you know, these two characters, you know, dealing with each other. And then uh, in the theater, I, I always have by accident and eventually by design someplace in the play where I do something physical that gets the audience to respond. Uh, In this case, it was, we finished folding the sheets and there was a table. I put the sheet on the table and I slid it across the table and it dropped off right into the laundry basket. And the audience was like, whoa. Uh, There was another time when I Very another play, another another play uh, that I did in uh, uh, Woodstock, Illinois, while I was still living living in Chicago, and uh, uh, called uh, Strider, uh, uh, a play with music based on a Pushkin short story, and uh, I I was the sort of stable stable guy uh, of the horses, and always had a carrot with me. And uh, in this story, the stable stable hand uh, 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 castrates uh, the uh, the uh, the horse, and uh, and so I'm walking around with this carrot right at the beginning of the play. I'm walking around with this carrot, which I also eat and I feed to the animal as well, my favorite horse, whatever. But what I had to do was I had to start the play out. Uh, singing, and I also laid down the beat for the music by taking my gelding knife and uh, sharpening it on instead of a regular uh, sort of wide uh, stone, which was a smaller stone, and it made this, you know, sort of nice sound. And so I would do that. I would set the beat. I would start singing. And then at one point, I would look at the knife. And by this time, I had the carrot in my mouth. 
And I looked at the knife, I looked at the carrot, I looked at the knife, I looked at the carrot, and then I would slice the carrot out of my mouth. And again, it was one of those moments where it's like, whoa. (laughs) And I did that for, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, a couple of dozen performances, and we got up to the last performance. Uh, It was a a matinee, and uh, I did my little sharpening with carrot looked at my mouth you know that and i went to slice the carrot and i hit myself on the side of the face with this incredibly sharp knife and sort of laid this like long dash into uh the uh, right side of my face and uh went oh shit uh mm. so uh, i ended up going doing doing the rest of the play uh with a with a big sort of you know one of those old sort of you know big uh, big tooth toothache looking things that they used to put around people's heads when they had a toothache and it would yes. have a big sort of, you know, yeah. Like, so I did the rest of the play with that covering up, you know, whatever uh, patch that I put on it and afterwards went to the emergency room and uh, had Dr. Bubba uh, sew up my face so that there is, uh, so there's, there's, there's no scar. He did a really good job. I kept telling him, you know, I'm an actor. I have to, my face is part of my business. So yes. really do a good job. Well, and good. so between uh, my chatter and his laughing, uh, he finally put 11 stitches in. And uh, anyway, but yeah, on Golden Pond, it was a really good experience. Had a good time. And I remember, I remember when at one point when uh, the daughter <laughs> brings home her uh, new uh, uh, boyfriend. Yes. And he and I, he and I are going at each other. And I forget He's, he's, he's just come in from being out with them down at the pond. And he and I had this back and forth scene and really good actor from New York. Uh, can't remember his name right off, but uh, big guy. And he and I are going back and forth and we hit this, whatever it was, the punchline. And it hit a laugh from the audience. Eh, this, this is a, a house. It's an old movie theater. Uh, in uh, Lewiston, Maine, the public theater. It's an old movie theater, so it's got a nice, long, sort of raked audience uh, floor, about 250 people. And they laughed, and they laughed, and they laughed, and they laughed, and they laughed. And we just sort of sat there, me sitting, and him standing, looking at each other, just going, okay, we're just going to ride this one out and see how long it goes. And I think we were there, seems to me, forever, and it probably was maybe a minute. And uh, finally, we just sort of decided, okay, we have to move on now. But I, I just remember it being a really rewarding, rewarding production. Good cast, good direction, good story. And uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, for, for several personal reasons, a lot of personal investment into the story. Uh, to the point of, without going into detail, it sort of came at the right time in my life to be able to sort of do this character. And uh, uh, I think I was told at one point, uh, you have to move, you know, like you're old. And it's like, how old is this guy? And he was like, I don't know, 67 or whatever. And I'm like, I'm 67. They went, well, 
you're in too good a shape. Be an older 67. <laughs> so so there, there, there were little details like that. But but as I say, it, it came at a time of my life that uh, there was a lot of, uh, you know, personal personal uh, uh, investment. And uh, anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just a killer group of actors. Just chill. Wow. It yeah, s- yeah. Sounds fantastic. And on Golden yeah. Pond, what an emotional... Yeah experience and journey of of reflection and yeah, and, and yeah. Um, i really enjoyed listening to hearing about that thank you you're welcome and as far as your early television work and mike by the way if we discussed all your television work we'd be here for <laughs> we'd be here all day uh not that i would mind that but uh, i did go ahead and find a few shows in particular that i thought i would ask you about to see if perhaps there's a story or two that you have to share and one no. of those would be um, Knight Rider, very popular show uh, from Knight the Rider. 80s. Knight Rider, Knight Rider. Uh, that's where I tore both meniscus on my uh, left knee. Ooh. <laughs> oh, my. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. Okay. Wow. There's that. Yeah. Uh, we were doing, we were doing, uh, there's a scene in, uh, it, was, it was during my, uh, uh, what my wife likes to call my uh, uh, sort of, uh, I don't know, bad boy, bad boy uh, 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 period of my uh, television career. Uh, I see. The, the sort of, you know, uh, I don't know, whatever, bad boy period. Anyway, so you were so, playing a lot uh, of those characters at that time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but uh, there's, there's, uh, there's a scene where, Michael Hasselhoff, Michael Hasselhoff and I are in an apartment and we get into a tussle and we're moving across this apartment and we're going out onto a balcony from which he eventually jumps off and lands in the seat of the car and drives away. Mm. That's the, that's the scene. Okay. So we're doing the scene. And we're moving across the floor, sort of, you know, pushing each other and swinging at each other. And what happened was I had been smoking a lot that day and drinking a lot of coffee. And that's like uh, a a, a recipe for like really putting uh, uh, fatigue in your muscles. Hmm. And we hit the lip of the sliding door and... The left meniscus tore because, right? Okay, so I sit down and I go, no, no, I'm okay, I'm okay. Uh, You know, that thing that I sort of related to you in that other interview about, you know, actors not paying attention to, you know, their, their... the safety on their own stunts. Yes. So we do that. I sit down. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, I'll, you know. Okay. So we get up and we do it again. Okay. So only this time the scene uh, is going to go back into the uh, apartment before it goes back out. So he can jump off the uh, fifth story and land in the car. So we're going and we're going the other way. And the same thing happened on the, right meniscus on my left knee. The same thing happened. And so uh, we finished whatever we were doing, and I ended up uh, filing uh, an accident report with uh, Universal, and they wanted to send me to uh, this uh, 
sports medicine place that they were dealing with at the time. And uh, I went over there and I saw the, uh, the doctor. And in those days, uh, it was the early days of uh, orthoscopic surgery. And I was feeling that this guy was just in too much of a hurry to put a notch on his belt and become the orthoscopic, you know, sort of king of the world. And I called up a, friend's, uh, a friend in Chicago and consulted him. And he said, find yourself, you know, a gentle manipulator, chiropractor. And I did. And my knee got fixed. And he convinced Universal that he could do it better and cheaper and in the shorter amount of time. And he did. And as a result of that, uh, there was a big increase in the state California state recognition of chiropractors and their work. That's my oh, wow. uh, that's my night rider story. Th th that's quite a story, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting to hear uh, that t that type of story. Oh my, oh, my goodness! <laughs> that's yeah, one for yeah. the record books. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 yeah. So whenever I have something uh, to do that, that might put a strain on my left knee, I always wear, uh, you know, a nice, uh, well, I forget what you call them, one of those very sort of, you know, flexible, uh, but very uh, strong uh, uh, padded braces. Knee brace, knee brace. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, this uh, next show that I want to ask you about hopefully was a safer experience for you, and it appears that you were actually there during season one, if I have this right, just, I, I believe, uh, episode four, perhaps, or right around that, and that would be Riptide. So lots of uh, great shows in the 80s, um, especially with the cop shows and the in the detective shows and your character is listed as Sharky and I just didn't know uh, if there was a story there perhaps uh, I don't remember the show that well I, I remember I occasionally I, I remember occasionally running into uh, Joe Penny and the other fella we would we would for some reason end up being in the same out of the way neighborhood and we would just like be driving past each other and go hey how you doing but on that one, the experience on that one, uh, as I recall, it was a good experience. Uh, it was the, let's see, first time I ever had sushi because we were shooting <laughs> down uh, in uh, San Pedro, uh, down on the, uh, the water here in uh, Los Angeles. And I remember we had, been on, we had been shooting already for like, you know, the week. And this was like coming up on the end of the week, the last day kind of thing. And I had gotten to be friends with uh, one of the Teamsters. Uh, and he was working on the show that day. And at lunchtime, uh, rather than sit down at the, uh, at the table uh, with the uh, meal that was provided by the, uh, the production, uh, he convinced me to go with him and a bunch of uh, other truck drivers down to a sushi place. Uh, just you know, like a block or two down the down the way. Sure. Because uh, San, San Pedro was an old. It, it had a, like like a, a lot of. It used to be a tuna. Uh, 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 what do you call those uh, uh, places where they 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 process fish? Oh. Okay. And uh, yeah, yeah, and 
But uh, so now, did you like sushi? sushi? Is that something you oh, like, yeah, or was? Yeah. Oh no! Oh, oh no! No, I, 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 gotcha. yeah, I took to it right away. You know, gotcha. it was like you know, I, I couldn't wait to put sushi and spaghetti. Uh, <laughs> but the story on that is that I think in the final scene, what happens is that the boat had to do with a boat, and I was either on the boat and had to jump off uh, when it blew up and caught on fire, something like that. But anyway, I end up I end up in the water in San Pedro Bay, San Pedro Harbor. Ooh. And, and you know, I, I, they arrest me, you know, kind of thing like that. You know, they yeah. finally catch me, you know. And so I remember we did all of that, and okay, you know, we're wrapped for the day. Thank you very much, you know good job everybody go home and the stunt coordinator came up and said now listen when you get home i said yeah he said put peroxide in every orifice of your body i went okay <laughs> why because at that time san pedro bay was like loaded with this like parasitic crap mm. because uh because because the uh, the uh, the bay was so polluted at the time Oh my! And I remember, I remember just driving home with a with, with a real focus of you know I know exactly where the peroxide bottle is, and this is what I'm going to do when I get in the house. I'm going to strip down and I'm going to get some peroxide. Anyway, so that's the story off Riptide. Well, I tell you what, Mike. Uh, some of your guest appearances were a little bit uh, dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness! Yeah, well, yeah, let's yeah. see how this next one goes. Um, okay. You also All appeared right. on an episode of Remington Steel. So my first question is: Did you work uh, uh, with Pierce Bronson dire directly while appearing on the episode? My first memory is about twice a year I get like a ninety-nine cent residual check from okay. Remington Steel. Okay. okay. Was well. Pierce Br was was Pierce Brosnan and. Stephanie Zimbalist, and I don't remember. I don't remember the episode. I remember I did the I show, see. but I yes. have no real recollection of of, of the episode. I, uh, I have no bad memories, so that's a start. And, and nothing dangerous so far, so that's and good. Nothing too. dangerous as far as I know. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, now this one, um, who knows with all of the car chases on the show, but I definitely wanted to ask you about the Dukes of Hazard. Dukes of Hazard. I almost got fired from the Dukes of Hazard for overacting. Oh, for overacting? Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, found this out. I found this out years later. Uh, the director was a guy, I can't remember his first name, last name is Kessler, related to the Kessler, is it whiskey or bourbon? I think it's whiskey uh, okay. family. And uh, he directed that episode, and it was toward the end of their sort of, uh, what was it, six, seven, eight-year run. And uh, uh, I, I was playing yet another mafia guy. Uh, who ends up having a heart attack. Uh, but years later, I went into audition for something else, and he was directing, and he came out into the hall before I went in for the audition and said, okay, whatever you do, whatever you have in mind, pull it back at least by 50%. I went, okay. I went, why? He went, you know, 
you almost got fired from Dukes of Hazard. I went, oh, shit, I didn't know that. Oh, my. Uh, so there's that story. And the second yeah. story on that one is we kidnapped Daisy at one point. Okay. And as we're putting her into the car, her uh, 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 pierced earring got caught up in my clothes. Ooh. And I came real close and she let me know about it, of possibly tearing that, that, that earring out of her ear. Oh, my so that's, goodness. So that's, that's, that's another thing I know about. And then I guess, I guess the, the, the... I'll tell you, Mike, you're having all kinds of adventures on primetime oh, yeah, television. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, well, I, and, and, and at the time, and, and at the time I was... I was uh, my kids were still living back in Illinois when I did that. And uh, years later, after my son graduated, and, and they didn't watch a lot of television. So, I mean, even though I was doing a bunch of stuff, you know, they would hear about it from friends because they didn't watch television. Uh, and, but years later, my son was, after he graduated from uh, St. John's College in Santa Fe, he was working a security job in New York, uh, in a couple of uh, uh, brownstones just down from the uh, Metropolitan Museum of Art. And it was uh, some Kuwaiti oil guy who had bought these two buildings and was making them like his residence. And my son uh, was working security. He was a live-in security guy while they were doing the construction. And he had like an apartment in the basement. And uh, he called up one night and went, I just saw you on Dukes of Hazard. I didn't know you did that. And so it was like, yeah, I did that. That's what I did. Yeah, yeah, we shot that on the back lot of uh, Warner Brothers Studio, uh, where, where I ended up years later shooting a lot of uh, the Flash uh, episodes. Yes. Yeah, on 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 that back lot, and I'm, I remember that's lot. first. Yeah, I remember that's the first time I saw a, a family of raccoons because the the the, the 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 buildings on the back lot, you know, have a facade, but on the interior, it's like open, so you can like you know put whatever walls or ceilings or whatever you want to put in there. And once that's done, those come down, you know, or they stay in there and they repaint them or whatever. But but there's usually like, you know, another story or two that are like open rafters so that they can hook up lights and stuff like that. And families of raccoons would like, you know, that that would be their home when the lights would oh, go wow. down and the cameras uh -huh. and the cameras would stop rolling. The raccoons would roll in. And, you know, start looking oh, for, wow. you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Dukes of Hazard, Dukes of Hazard. Dukes yeah. of Hazard. Well, yeah. um, now, I noticed that you were actually credited for uh, two episodes for T.J. Hooker. Were you portraying the same character, do you recall, or were, were, did you come back and play somebody else? Two different characters. In one, I was uh, a, a thief, and in the other one, I was uh, a pawn shop owner. And it doesn't happen very often. Uh, in those days, it happened more. Uh, but these days, it doesn't happen very often. You do a show and they don't want to recast you. 
in uh, the same series for yes, you know yes ever uh but in that one it worked out and uh in the first episode yeah i was a thief and i remember in that one uh my memory of that one is my grandmother my maternal grandmother was watching it and i had stolen like a wedding ring or something uh when i did like a convenience store robbery and you know you know give me your cash and you, you know, you, the customer, give me whatever valuable that you have, kind of thing like that. And I remember my maternal grandmother watching it and going, I don't know why they make him do things like that. He wouldn't do that in real life. And then, and then in, in, in that episode also, uh, I think, I think it, no, I, we shot at some uh, 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 small uh, uh, automobile racetrack out here somewhere. Uh, you know, it was like a, I don't know, it was like maybe a, a quarter mile, no, it had to be more than a quarter mile. I don't know, maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe a mile, a mile, uh, 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 oval, but, uh, we're shooting out there and I think my character was involved in owning some race car or something like that. And I remember Marky Post, uh, who was one of the cops on the show, uh, she was the one who had to, uh, you know, sort of finally arrest me and, you know, get me, get me into the car. And I remember that, uh, in that scene where, you know, she comes up and you know, she takes me and she's supposed to put my arm behind my back and start pushing me toward the uh, police car. She, she sort of grabbed my arm and it was like, she started gently putting it back there. And it was like, okay, we're going to sell this really good. And so I just kind of went, nah! you know, and threw my arm back there. And I remember, I remember afterwards her saying, thank you very much, you know, for uh, making that, you know, look like I was really doing something. Mm. <laughs> and, then, and then in the second episode, in the second episode, yeah, we shot downtown uh, and they were investigating somebody who had, uh, either bought something from me or uh, I brought something in to be pawned. And I remember sitting, uh, sitting around between takes. William, William, William Shatner is sitting outside the store. And it was in a dicey neighborhood, uh, sort of on the eastern side of downtown Los Angeles. Uh, and, and in those days, uh, it was a lot, it, it wasn't nearly as safe as it is today, but there's even a, still a line of sort of demarcation, but we're standing there. And at one point while we're talking, we sort of look over and we see there's a knife fight going on, a real one. Mm. And pretty soon, the, and pretty soon the cops show up and we're just sitting there watching this sort of real life drama happening in front of us. And then I remember at another time, some guy walked over because he recognized Shatner. And it was one of those things where somebody starts getting really close and invading your space. And it was one of those things where it was just like watching again, this sort of real life, you know, moment of tension happening as this guy got closer and closer to Shatner. Mm. And finally was like, okay, everybody, let's get out of here. Let's, 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 let's break this up. And you know, I, I, as I recall, Shatner got up out of the chair and a, a few of the uh, uh, people on the crew came and, you know, sort of said, okay, friend, why don't you move on down the road here? But, uh, 
Yeah, no, no. I, I, both times when I worked, I found Shatner to be really good to work with. Really good to work with. Oh, I'll tell you what, uh, sounds like quite an experience, and I'm glad to hear that it was enjoyable working with him. Uh, yeah. Well, we've been discussing um, a lot of uh, cop shows and detective shows, and of course, the Dukes of Hazard. but I noticed you appeared on uh, two different type of shows than we've discussed, so they're comedies, and you could say that they are also, I would say, family comedies. Who's the boss in Family Matters? Okay, sure. Those are, those, those, those are the two sitcoms. Okay, and, so and, go and, for and it. who's the who's the boss uh, with Tony Danza, and the story on that one is uh, we were doing the table read uh, the first day of rehearsal, and Tony was trying to come up with the name of his grandfather, his character's grandfather, and they were sort of going around the room trying to figure that out. And I finally, I think on a break went up and said, uh, my grandfather's name was, uh, Mateo. And he went, Oh, I like that. So his grandfather, his character's grandfather's name ended up being Mateo, my paternal grandfather. And then the second thing on that is that whenever you work on a show with Tony Danza, you eat like a king. His craft service oh, wow. is just like his his craft service is like you know going to a good restaurant. And uh, again, yeah, he's uh, he uh, one of those people who who it's his show. He makes sure that everybody on that show is happy, and everybody is you know sort of knows that they're there to do really good work. And, and they will be encouraged to do good work. And their good work will be appreciated. And then I did a couple of episodes of Family Matters. And in that one, I remember the first thing was, I remember the audition. I have a friend who, uh, hi, my name's, you know, whatever my name is. And he really talks like that all the time. <laughs> hi, how you doing? And so oh, I decided wow. to I decided to do uh, him when I went in for the audition, and I ended oh, up okay. getting the role. And I was I was like you know the uh, the uh, the high school's basketball team coach, uh-huh. and and it, it's one of those it's one of those uh, it's one of those projects. There are several that I have where people will come up to me and go, and give me a line that is from whatever the project is. Oh wow! Uh, you know, so, Mm-hmm. And 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 one of those lines was uh, uh, I forget it was something like Urkel uh, 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 Urkel yeah right Urkel you know when I was calling roll or something like that Urkel and he goes here I go what kind of name is that Dutch <laughs> and you know big laugh and then and then in a second and then in a, and then at the end you know I call him in. Uh, to you know, save the game, and he sort of you know, tears off his uh, uh, velcroed uh, you know warm up uniform and runs in and saves the game. And then the second episode, I think, uh, and that, I think it was uh, it was uh, 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 it was like a prom dance or something like that, and I was one of the chaperones. And I I don't have any sort of specific memory about that one, except that again they were they were they were good people to work for. 
and and there, you know there's 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 a reason why shows last, and part of it is because you know there's 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 a, there's there's an atmosphere that's created when you walk in, and people are like, "Hello, what's your name? You're part of the show. We've been doing it for five years. We know this is your first day, but come on in and join the party." Join, you know, and, and, and both of those shows, both of those shows, Who's the Boss and Family Matters were shows like that. People That makes a huge being, difference, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Makes you feel comfortable and, and it, it means you're going to do better work. I mean, I think a yeah. set like that, yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, Mike, if you don't mind me asking just a few more questions about your television career, and I'll switch gears after that. Uh, speaking of comedy, I noticed that you appeared on, I guess you could say the spinoff, or you could call it the sequel of Three's Company, and that's Three's a Crowd. Uh, any special memories of that episode? No, except my wife was also in an episode of that. Oh, wow. And she played uh, a contestant in a cooking contest. And she was this real sort of little snippy. <laughs> and then there was kind of a, a, a sort of a picture book buxom blonde who was also a contestant. And then there was John Ritter playing his, you know, sort of female character, you know. And at one point... In the episode, my wife's character pushes his ingredients, which are some nuts, onto the floor and steps on them so that she'll have the edge in terms of who wins the cooking contest and has a line like, oops, I stepped on your nuts. You know, <laughs> oh, big laugh, right? Yes. So, so, so that episode is done. <clears throat> I don't know how long later, a few months, we get a phone call and this guy, you know, asked for Ellen or Ellen answered the phone and uh, he goes, hi, I hope you don't, you know, take offense or whatever, but is this Ellen Crawford, the actress? And he was like, yes. And, oh, oh, good, good. Uh, uh, now, now, you know, don't take offense, but, you know, I looked you up in the phone book. We have since uh, gotten an unlisted number. Uh, but uh, he said, you were on, you know, Three's Company. She went, yes. And he went, oh, I just have to tell you how much I admired you. And, 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 and you know, I, I just think you're beautiful and on and on and on. And I, I just love to have coffee with you. And my wife is going, wait a minute, wait a minute. I think you have the wrong person. I was the real mean, sort of snotty, snippy, cheater contestant. He went, yeah, you're the one I like. And it was like, okay, <laughs> let's not go any further with this because I'd really like to have coffee with you. And she said, well, uh, let me talk to my husband and we'll see maybe when we can get together. And he was like, oh, okay, never mind. So <laughs> took care of that. <laughs> that's it. Took care of that. Took care of that. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Because of that, because of that, and a few other instances, yeah, yeah. We uh, we learned very quickly. Get an unlisted number, and if you're in the business in Los Angeles. <laughs> 
might be a good idea, especially when you hear a story like that. Uh, yep. Now, I noticed you appeared on several episodes of Falcon Crest, which I was not previously aware, and I wanted to ask you uh, what that experience was like for you. That experience, two things about that. Uh, sure. Again, it's always always wonderful to get the uh, residual checks, even though they're very small by this period. Uh, but uh, two things off of that. First of all, I really had a good time working on it. It was fun to to be around that kind of, you know, sort of out-and-out soap opera, telenovela, you know, kind sure. of situation. And let's see, three things. Well, first of all, it's it shot over at the uh, Radford Studios in Studio City. That's where they did the interiors. And then every month or so, they'd run up to uh, uh, wine country up in Napa and do, you know, some establishing shots and uh, some other scenes that, you know, take place outside. And I remember that was one of those times when you sit down and you go, I'm having a drink with Cesar Romero. And it was like, damn. Is this cool or what? So there was that part of it. And then oh, there was yeah. another part. There was, an, there was another one where I was in a scene very briefly with Jane Wyman. So I'm in a scene with Jane Wyman. It was so brief. Basically, it was a scene where I think we, we walk into a room together. I escort her into a room and there's a little brief scene, and then we leave together. I escort her out the room. And I think maybe we did two takes, something like that. And after the second take, she sort of, whatever the line was, was basically something like, that's good enough for summer stock. I'm out of here. And she was off the set because it was oh, one of those things. It was one of those things where, uh, you know, she's been around a while. She knows what's good. She knows what's bad. And, uh, uh, she was, she was in a situation where give me the hours that I have to work. I'll be there, but I'm only working these hours because she had that kind of star power that she was able to say, you know, this is what I do. Yes. Uh, you know, it was like, it was like back in the days when, when those guys like Spencer Tracy and all those guys would go, okay, it's mm-hmm. five o'clock. We're out of here. And they all go over <laughs> to Pat O'Brien's house and, you know, sit over there and, and have happy hour for a few, for a few hours before you, they, you know, they went on yeah. home. And everybody and, was uh, like, sure, that's fine. No problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so she was able, and, and it was like, and, and she was really good. I mean, that was, the, that was the point. It wasn't like, you know, the scene was shitty. Yes. She was really good. Mike, I did want to ask you about um, a, a film that you appeared in, and that is uh, Jojo Dancer, Your Life is Calling, and if there is a story to share there. Uh, yeah, there is. Uh, I remember getting cast in that. And, uh, uh, I went in for costume fitting and, uh, well, after my fitting, they said, would you like to go over and meet, uh, Richard Pryor? I said, yeah, sure. Because he's the one that had the final say on casting. 
and uh, he had apparently given me the okay, uh, but apparently not the final okay. And so I went over to the set. They were shooting at Warner Brothers, and uh, Richard Pryor comes out to meet me, and he's dressed in this sort of flowy uh, overgown because he's doing the stripper scene and he's got, you know, pasties and a G string on and he's got, you know, like, you know, a uh, uh, bizarre drag makeup on. And so I see this, I see him coming toward me, which is like already, you know, there's an impression going on and he walks up and it's like, I mean, almost nose to nose. And he looks at me and he goes, yeah, you'll do. And I'm thinking, cool, you know? So I go oh, in to yeah. shoot the scene. I go in to shoot the scene, and the scene is uh, me sitting in my office. Uh, and uh, to bring up Ohio again, I was the owner of, uh, like, a little nightclub uh, roadhouse in Ohio. And the tradition was that at the end of the week, whatever the acts were, they would all switch places. So in his case, he was the comic, but he became the stripper. The stripper became the singer, and the singer became the dancer. I don't know how, but, but anyway, he was the stripper that night because it was the last night. Okay. And, be, and being the last night, uh, he comes into the office, and I'm a, I'm a I, you probably didn't know this, but there were mob people in Ohio. Uh, but anyway, so he comes hmm. into the office, he comes into the office and goes, where's our money? Uh, because this is our last night and I've made a decision. I'm not going to give you the money. I'm going to hold you over because you guys are so popular. You brought in a lot of money. So I'm going to hold you over for another week. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to hold, I'm, I'm not going to pay you. And then eventually what happens is that, uh, uh, the cop comes in and, you know, says, you know, give them the money so they can get out of here. But in that scene, uh, I've got a couple of other guys that are my guys in the office. And I had in front of me a plate of spaghetti I was supposed to eat while I was doing the scene. And so I'm, I'm sort of eating the spaghetti. And at one point during a break between takes, this one guy, this one Italian guy from New York, uh, says, uh, can I make a suggestion? It's like, what? He says, uh, you're eating that spaghetti all wrong. And it's like, excuse me? You know, I grew up in a, you know, my, my grandparents were from Sicily. What are you talking about? So he sits down and he's going to show me how to eat spaghetti. And I'm thinking, okay. So I watch this guy and he starts doing, you know, his, his way of eating spaghetti. And he got the sauce all over his shirt. They had to go to costumes to get him another shirt. And it was like, okay, get out of here. Don't give me any more suggestions. Uh, oh, my. Years later, uh, all well, both of my daughters and my son soon uh, live in Peoria, Illinois, where Richard is from. And that was part of the conversation that I had when I first met him. Uh, was, uh, you know, you'll do is what he said to me. And then it's like, how do you make conversation with Richard Pryor? So I said, uh, so, uh, Hey, I hear you're from Peoria. He goes, yeah. And I go, so 
Been home lately? No. Uh, do you ever get back there? No. And it's like it was really sort of, I didn't realize that he didn't have much respect for Peoria, Illinois, because I read his, I read his bio, biography later on uh, because uh, of the uh, sort of uh, bad time that he had as a youngster growing up there, but then also because there was an attitude that the city in general had about him. Uh, a, a, a sculptor friend of ours who lives in uh, uh, Peoria, uh, uh, something Jackson, uh, was putting together, was, was doing a sculpture of Richard in one of his classic poses, microphone uh-huh. in hand, and it's when he, had, when, when he had those sort of bell bottoms that he used to wear. And he had the statue, and he was putting a really good-looking statue. And uh, he was wanting to put it in a public space. And the city said no. Uh, the attitude being, as I heard, was that uh, we don't want him being a representation of our city, kind of thing like that. He eventually got it up into a sort of semi-public space. But uh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, no, no. And then, and then I ended up doing. I ended up doing another film with him. Uh, yes. Uh, 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 Harlem Nights. That's Harlem right. Nights. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember. I remember going in on that audition, and Eddie Murphy was uh, in the casting room. And one of the things he said about bringing me in was uh, having watched JoJo Dancer. Uh, he went, you actually said, fuck you to Richard Pryor. I was like, yeah, that's what the character was supposed to say. But yeah, I'm glad you remember that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, you got to work with um iconic individual. Um, and, oh, man. Um, uh. that, that That is something else. Um, I'll tell you, there's something about Richard that, um, you know, I watch his stand-up uh, material and from you know from time to time, and it just uh, he just I mean he just I just laugh so hard. Um, you just never know what he's going to say next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was genius. He was yes. a genius. Now, I appreciate you sharing memories of Richard Pryor and working on those projects. And I thought I would ask you, Mike, about well, someone very, very special and important to you, and that is your talented and lovely wife. And you know what? You got to work with her, for example, on ER in a continuous manner. You know, what was that like to be able to work with your wife so much as an actor? Uh, well, I mean... Just right off the bat, it's like, you know, people say, who's your favorite actor? And it's like, my wife. And who's the best actor you know? My wife. Uh, so that's a starting point. And uh, what I said earlier was that, you know, there are times when I mentioned before that there was a time when she and I were doing a play up in uh, San Francisco, Berkeley. And uh, the review came out and said we cheated because we were married. Uh, we've done a lot of work together, and uh, on ER, the situation was I was doing a pilot for Donald Belisario, uh, Crowfoot, in Maui, and Ellen was doing the pilot of ER uh, in uh, East Los Angeles at uh, a hospital 
that was no longer in operation uh, as a hospital, but was used for uh, uh, settings quite often. In fact, ER and uh, 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 Chicago Hope were using the same hospital at the same time when they were shooting their pilots. Uh, the uh, pilot that I shot in Maui, Crowfoot, uh, uh, didn't have legs. Uh, it, uh, I think, as I recall, it had, like, the pilot got one showing, and I don't know if it's ever been heard from since. But ER, uh, you know, people were not sure what was going to happen with that, and then it took off like, you know, wildfire. And uh, so once I got back to... Uh, Los Angeles from Maui and Ellen had already done like, I don't know, three, four, five, six episodes. Uh, one of the storylines that they, uh, th they had originally asked me to come in on ER to do a cop role in the pilot. Uh, that was, uh, uh, coming to the ER because his wife accidentally shot him. So, and so I already had, you know, history uh, with the show in that regard. But uh, at one point they decided one of the storylines has got to be, because it happens all the time in real life, cops, firemen, ER nurses. And so they decided that uh, they needed a cop-nurse relationship. And they came up with uh, me and Ellen and uh, brought me in, and we had this 12-episode, uh, uh, I had a 12-episode arc, and I think, uh, what was it, uh, what, three, four, five, six episodes, and our two characters eventually uh, got married in the ER waiting room. Uh, wow. And uh, it was- That had to be quite a moment. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah! It was in the episode. It was in the episode where it was a uh, Sherry Springfield uh, decided sorry, Springfield decided to uh, leave the show, and it was her last episode. Uh, and so it was. It was a big episode, and Ellen's character got to wear this, you know, gorgeous, you know, white wedding dress, and George George Clooney was, you know, running around putting like telephone and coffee cups on her train, you know, because he was always doing practical jokes. And, uh, yeah, we got married in the ER, and uh, then I did another, I guess, what, three or four episodes. And finally, uh, they decided that, uh, you know, we had gone through this relationship, and let's move on and find some other relationships. Because I, I think that's eventually somewhere in there, is when uh, I think Juliana Margulies and uh, uh, one of the uh, EMT or firefighter guys uh, became a relationship for a while. Yeah, yeah. But no, now, was, do, did you and your wife, uh, when you work on any project together, but let's say ER, do you run lines together at home or do you like to keep that separate? Oh, no, 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 no. We're always, we're, 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 we're very comfortable going back and forth with each other. That's where where e each of us uh, the other's best critic, <laughs> and and yeah no 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 we always we always work work with each other. That's great and very beneficial because by the time you get to the set, I mean, 
you've already got that uh you know that artistic vibe and connection going and uh compared to just showing up with uh you know someone that you don't live with and whatnot and and so that that's that's wonderful i really enjoyed listening to that and and you told me that uh, i have a connection with her in the sense that we're both from the city of dayton uh, she was born in Dayton. You were born in Dayton. Uh, she lived for a time over in Sydney. Uh, her dad was in advertising and her mother, uh, was in fine jewelry. And, uh, eventually her mother, uh, and father settled back into, uh, Springfield, Ohio. Uh, uh yeah, yeah. And then, I have a connection with Worcester, Ohio, and I also have a connection with Cincinnati that we talked about. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then every couple of years, uh, we uh, head on back to Ohio uh, to visit uh, the cemetery where uh, Ellen's uh, mother and father are buried. And as I uh, said earlier, uh, we always make sure we stop and have a, a bite to eat at the spot. Uh, in Sydney, in Sydney, Ohio, it's a little diner right there on the corner of the square. So yeah, 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 yeah. Dayton, Dayton, Ohio. Dayton, Ohio. Oh, 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 and, oh! I forgot to tell you this. Her sure. uncle, Her, her uncle Harry, Harry Imboden. Uh huh. That was the, That's that's the, that's the last name. I M O Imboden, D E N, something like that. Uh, but, but her, her uncle Harry in Bowdoin, uh, lived in, uh, Dayton, uh, all of his life. Wow. Uh, and, uh, he was a member of the chamber of commerce, president of the downtown retailers association and, uh, was a golfer and, uh, he, one of the delights of his, of his year I don't know if you remember this, if you were around Dayton that long, but he really got off on being the talking Christmas tree. Apparently, in, I, I was never around to see it, but apparently in downtown Dayton at Christmas time, there was like a Christmas tree and you could come up and it was like, um, you know, it was like almost talking to Santa Claus or something, I don't know, like that. And it was like, you know, and, oh, wow. how you doing, little boy? You know, the tree would say. Huh. And it was Uncle Harry. It was Uncle Harry inside the tree. That is something else. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What a story. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Shit. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, what a story. That that is yeah, so a, yeah. a strong connection to Ohio here and 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 that's just fantastic. And and some good theater in Ohio too. I mean, oh, you got you got the uh absolutely. You got the Great Lakes. And then I know uh, a friend of ours uh, from St. Louis uh uh uh, 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 uh Jop Jop uh Joplin uh uh, shit, can't remember his first name. Uh, but anyway, uh, he for years uh, has done. Uh, is there a playhouse in Cincinnati? Well, there's the Dayton Playhouse. No, um, no, no, no. I actually uh, did Treasure Island there years ago. Yeah, no, no. This is this someplace in Ohio besides Cleveland. Maybe it's Cleveland Playhouse. I don't know. Okay. But uh, he for he for years. 
he goes back and forth between working at the uh, St. Louis Repertory Theater and the uh, the theater in uh, I guess I guess Cleveland Playhouse. And I know for years he was like you know Scrooge in the production of uh, oh, Christmas wow. Carol every year. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, Dayton. Yeah, I've never seen anything in Dayton or had any connection with that theater, but it's been around for a while now. Yeah. Yep, and I, I grew up in Kettering, the suburb of Dayton, and, um, you know, just wonderful times growing up in the 80s, as I like to tell people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Huh. <laughs> well, Mike, I'll tell you, before we conclude here, first of all, I want to thank you in advance for such um, a sentimental and interesting and enjoyable interview experience. I, I feel it's more like half interview and half storytelling, and I think that's a wonderful combination, and I thank you for that. Um, I wanted to ask you because you have worked with so many people. I mean, so many, uh, all levels of talent and um, newcomers, veterans, you name it. Uh, many of them you discussed uh, with me today. Is there something in particular that you have noticed that maybe really good actors tend to have in common? Like a certain trait uh, or just something that you kind of go, wow, the great ones take this approach, I've noticed. I assume preparation is probably a huge part of that factor. Well, I mean, something, something, something that you and I would call professionalism. I see. And, and it encompasses, it encompasses all of a lot of what we've been talking about in terms of people and, 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 and their acting, my acting with them, uh, whether it's, whether it's the, you know, third spear carrier from the left or whether it's the star of the show and, whether whether it's uh, Tony Danza or, or or Shatner or 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 any of those people, uh, uh, they're professionals. They have they they've studied their craft. They know what it is to be where they are at any given time in this sort of chain of careers in the chain of one's career. And they know that they know what their place is, what is expected of them. They also know that their opinions based upon their experience as a professional matter and there's a pride in that and 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 again going back to that word professional it's 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 being on time hitting your marks knowing what the angles are knowing uh, 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 being able to feel an audience if you're on stage knowing what to do if 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 a mistake is made or, or, or a line is dropped, uh, uh, knowing, knowing how to pick that other person up 
or 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 interact with that person in such a way that that uh, 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 the show goes on. Uh, being, being, being responsible. I mean, all the other stuff in terms of, you know, the studying your craft and all of that, all of that goes into that and, and, and treating, treating everyone in regards to their responsibility as part of this, this collective team that does what we do in terms of going out there and making something that is a group effort and, and not getting in the way of that. And, and I, I think that that's probably, I mean, I've done shows where I hated going on stage every night because there wasn't that, there wasn't that, that, that atmosphere. There wasn't, there wasn't that, 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 that feeling. The, 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 you knew something was wrong. You knew that somebody out there wasn't doing their job. Uh, 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 you knew you knew that if you came in the next day, this person wasn't going to have their lines. You were going to be, you know, burdened with you know people getting uh, more and more uh, uh, out of sorts because one of those one of those cogs was not you know functioning right, doing their job. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of my take on it. Words of wisdom. No doubt about it. Thank you for sharing all of that, Mike. Um, I I know a lot of people in the industry, actors and writers and upcoming directors have reached out to me telling me they they listen to the show because they, they learn a lot by, by what my guests have to say. And that is a perfect example. And I thank you so much. Very inspired to hear that. I've had it such a wonderful time. It's been a true honor having you on the show. Well, thank you for having me and inviting me and, uh, uh, much success, uh, with the show. Uh, I've listened to a couple of episodes now and have enjoyed it myself. And, uh, you seem to be able to pull from people, uh, things of importance. I, it was interesting. I was just reading uh, the other day, uh, Doris Day just died, uh, as relates yes. to this particular interview. And she was like, you know, my first boyhood crush of, you know, like, you know, a celebrity kind of thing like that. And, and they, they alluded to her being a very private person and, at one point she was doing an interview with, uh, 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 those are, those are, those are peace screaming in the background. Oh, gotcha. Uh, <laughs> yeah. As opposed to me living in, you know, the jungle, uh, yes. but, uh, she was, she was, she was doing an interview with, uh, Barbara <laughs> Walters. She was doing an interview with her and apparently Barbara Walters, that, particular interview was able to sort of get down and start looking and pushing and maneuvering. And finally, at one point she just got too close, uh, for Doris day and Doris day broke down crying. And I think, I think Mm -hmm. in terms of being an interviewer and trying to find out what it is that, you know, makes whoever you're interviewing function, and, and I think I think that's one of the things that you seem to be uh, doing doing well at is, is is being able to sort of 
get to a place where, where, where people are comfortable enough to talk to you and uh, sort of let you know, yeah, some, some stuff, some stuff. Well, Mike, thank you so or much. Maybe, or, maybe, or maybe it's just, you know, people like me with a bladder mouth who just won't shut up. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, um, that sure does mean a lot to me. Thank you so Good. much. You're welcome. And coming You're welcome. from you, that's a high, high compliment. And, and, and I just would like to say that I feel very grateful and fortunate to have so many incredible people from the industry as guests. Uh, certainly don't take it for granted. And um, thank you, Mike. And I want to wish you and wife and all the very best. You bet. And the same to you. And, yeah, if we get to Ohio, I'll uh... – I'll uh, I'll take you up on the lunch offer. Hey, that sounds great. <laughs> I really hope that happens. And thanks okay. so much, Mike, and take care. All right, you take care. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Ciao, ciao. Hi, friends and listeners. This is host Stephen Brittingham. Do you happen to have a question or a comment for me? Or perhaps you feel that you might make an interesting guest here on Hollywood and Beyond. Whatever your reason may be, Please feel free to contact me anytime directly at the show's official email address. That would be Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. That is Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you soon. Mr. Downtown Dayton. Because he worked for the Chamber of Commerce. And I'm going to kiss my wife goodbye because she has to go off to that audition I told you about. Sorry, to Absolutely. Interrupt. No problem at all. I love you. Play, play, play. Thank you. All right. I'll, I, don't <laughs> worry about her. I'll take care of her. I'll take care of her. Yeah, the other dog is expecting treats when we leave. It's okay, Dory. It's okay. Stay, 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 stay. Have fun. Have fun. Be evil. Okay, I will. Be evil in French. Uh-huh. Hollywood and Beyond podcast created, produced, and hosted by actor and writer Stephen Brittingham. Thank you for listening.